Hello and welcome to Success Stories. I'm Kendra Hall, Chief Storytelling Officer at Success Magazine, and this is the podcast where we sit down with the brightest stars and the boldest thought leaders as they share their stories so you can create your own success story. I first found today's guest on a Monday in early December 2020. I was mindlessly scrolling through Instagram when I came across a video. A woman was running down a country road methodically. You could tell she was a runner. She'd definitely done this before. She then turned her head to the camera and mid-stride said, matter-of-factly, I've always been a motivated person. Now, that statement alone wasn't revolutionary. Lots of people would consider themselves a motivated person, myself included. But it wasn't just the words she shared. There was something about the way she said them. Like, there was something more to it. And that something, I mean, she explored it in the video, but I knew I had to talk to her myself to find out how this incredibly successful person has managed and broken through her own mental and physical barriers. That is the interview you are about to hear today. If you yourself are a motivated person and yet sometimes find yourself struggling with your own motivation, this is the interview for you. Let's get to it. Dubbed the Renaissance Runner by the New York Times, Alexi Pappas is an Olympian long-distance athlete and an award-winning actor and writer. Her memoir, a collection of essays entitled Bravey, with a foreword by Maya Rudolph, was just released. In it, in addition to a whole variety of topics, she explores why she has refused to pick just one lane in her life, why she put in a tremendous amount of hard work and wouldn't let anything stand in her way until she achieved all of her dreams, however unrelated they may seem to outsiders. Alexi Papas, welcome to Success. We are so excited to hear your stories. Thank you for having me. So Alexi, let's start here. I know that, I mean, you've, you've come so far, you've done so many things, but I want to go all the way back. Let's like, where did, where did you come from? Where did your story start? Yeah. So my story started in the Bay area in California where, you know, from a really young age, I was exposed to and seeing uh, a really challenging end of life. Uh, You know, my mom's basically last few years of her life were the first few years of mine. And she was going through um, like a really intense depression. And this was during the nineties when mental health care was different and it just, it wasn't helping her. And so what I ended up seeing was uh, a lot of bad pain and a lot of, you know, somebody harming themselves. And what I perceived from like this young age was somebody who didn't want to stay. And I felt that I did not matter enough for her to stay, which was of course like a four or five-year-old point of view vantage point. Mm -hmm. And what it did to me was catapult me, catalyze this feeling inside of me that I would matter and that I wanted to matter. And it motivated me, you know, to chase mattering, which to me meant 
chasing success, chasing mm-hmm. happiness. And a lot of the way that I found it growing up now that I, now that I look back was through external accomplishment and external success. And that worked like it did work to drive me to push myself and to become, you know, a great student, a, an actress, a Olympian. But what I found when I got to that pinnacle, the athletic pinnacle of the Olympics was, you know, the experience was incredible and life-changing, but because I was trying to solve this internal problem with an external solution, that's just, it just doesn't work and it's unsustainable. And so I had this post-Olympic crash, this post-Olympic depression and learned, I think the hard way that, that, that external success was never going to solve that internal desire and want and like void that I had. So what, I mean, I don't, clearly this isn't like a unique, um, I think a lot of people do this, right? They, they, right. and they probably aren't as good at defining it as you are, uh, saying like, I'm, I'm chasing, trying to matter. I want to matter and I'm going to measure my mattering by outside accomplishments, um, of course, not everyone gets to the Olympics and gets to have like that is like what else? What do you do from there? That's like the best of the best. So, so tell me, well, like what happened? Like how was it at the Olympics? How did you feel there? And then what? How, how did you know that something was like wrong? Do you remember the day? Do you remember when you were like, wait, I feel like I shouldn't be feeling like this? Yeah. So. I broke a national record in this race. I had the experience of a lifetime at the Olympics. Like, to be honest, I think a lot of people who go to the Olympics, it's a, it's a lot like when you have looked up to someone your entire life, like from afar, mm-hmm. and then you maybe get the chance to meet them and you just hope they're going to be what you think they're going to be. Yeah. And sometimes they are, and sometimes they aren't. And for me, the Olympics were, they were that and more. And it was an incredible um, it was an incredible time. It was just when I got back that I felt the need to, I, I felt the need to find what the next pinnacle was going to be right away. And a lot of Olympians feel this because we don't plan for the moment after, because if we planned for the moment after, we probably wouldn't get to the Olympics in the first place. And the right thing to do, I think the moment after is to pause and let the you know adrenal fatigue set mm-hmm. set in and and like recover and just the tremendous amount of effort that went into it just to respect that it that it is like a marshmallow that has been compressed and can reinflate in time but a lot of us including me are just like what's next how can i top this what am i what is my next goal because we've been so goal oriented our whole life and i just So I tried to find the next thing and just speed up when I should have slowed down and I didn't have good guidance to allow me to pause. I I had, you know, coaches encouraging me to change training groups and try a new event. And I was in sponsor negotiations and there was just a lot going on that was feeling like it was expediting that speeding up process. Um, And the real red flags for me came when I stopped sleeping And I think that was just compounded anxiety about what was next and how was I going to put my life together and move forward? And how was I going to chase another external accomplishment, you know? And 
So I stopped sleeping. I was still trying to run 120 miles a week, which is just like unheard of, probably even if you sleep, you know, nine hours a night, but I was just not sleeping. And it wasn't until my dad, who had seen what happened with my mom, really noticed that what I was expressing to him on the phone about my anxiety about the future, that a red flag, um, you know, the red flag was really his, his identifying it, not me. Mm. And I think that can be really common in high achievers where we just, we think we can handle everything and we don't see ourselves as someone who could ever be in a crisis or need help. And so it did take somebody on the outside, you know, forcing me to pause and forcing me to get help when I was just thought I could do everything on my own. Do you remember that? Do you remember that phone call? Like, do you remember? It was several phone calls, you know, it was like, like I'm, I'm, I can, you know, I wholly admit now that it was several months of like getting worse and worse. And that's why with this, with the New York times video, you mentioned the real like aha moment was when my dad, he made me go to meet um, a couple psychiatrists, psychologists to find one that worked that I felt like I connected with. And the one that I did connect with Dr. Arpea was actually back in Eugene, Oregon. So I moved back to where I was prior. Mm-hmm. And he told me that I quite simply had a scratch on my brain. Like I was sick and it was like a scratch on my brain. And suddenly I understood because as athletes, we understand an injury in our body. Like if someone says your, your, your foot is broken, we get it. It's yeah. broken. You get help. You wait for it to heal. You drink your bone broth. Like there's a process, right? And there's not yeah. shame. And so once he told me that, I started to see my brain as a body part and something that could get injured just like any other and could also heal just like any other. And it felt like it was it was just night and day, the way that that shifted everything for me. Would you... And I mean, I think every story unfolds the way it's supposed to, but let's say that there is somebody listening right now for any achiever, right? And they have achieved a goal or they did something, you know, we're coming to year end. I mean, it's the end of a crazy year, but, and they're, I've, I've felt this way. Like, what's the next thing? Like, what do I, what do I, what do I do next? What do I, what would you have done? Like, what would you, what will you do next in that situation? Or what would you recommend to somebody to do? Like if you could go back. Well, look, we have this, this Bravey book coming out and I anticipate it's going to feel a lot like the next Olympics, you know? And so I think I do have to always prepare for that. And it's interesting. You mentioned, you know, these non, the non-Olympic feats because, and I mentioned this in the book, but I met, I had the chance to meet, Jimmy Kimmel after a show that, that we were watching that Nick Kroll was on, um, as part of our movie release of Olympic dreams. And I talked to him about this and he said, that's exactly how I felt after I hosted the Oscars. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was so compelling that, you know, it is, it is something that people feel after these big moments and a big moment is so relative to whatever your big moment is. It's like, if it's big for you, it's a big deal. Yeah. And I think the advice that I would give is to accept that there's a recovery period for any of these big moments and to build it in as if it's a chapter of the moment itself. Like it's the prologue or the 
epilogue, you know, it's the, it exists as its own chapter and you will, um, I just think when we come to expect pain or like expect something, it can be so much more pleasant when it comes, right? If we expect this moment, this period of time to come as if it's an invited guest at our dinner party, then we won't be so offended when we feel exhausted the moment when something is finished. We'll just expect that. So I think the more we can expect it and the more we could share with other people that it exists, this like recovery period or uh, marshmallow reinflation period or whatever you want to <laughs> like, however it visually yeah. feels best to you, like um, then it doesn't feel so offensive. Well, uh, and that's right. Or, yeah. And we don't have to be afraid of it. Like I know um, there's a lot, there's a lot more conversation now about postpartum and the right, struggles right. after having a baby and a term has, it wasn't, I mean, my son is nine years old and it wasn't a thing when I had him, but they started calling it the fourth trimester. And it's exactly what you're saying. It's like you have your first trimester and this is what you're supposed to expect and your second trimester and your third trimester. But it was like, and now you have a baby. Yay. And then what? Like, I think, and we do, we end up like we climb the mountain, we get to the top and then what? It's just like a cliff drop off the other side. Mm -hmm. And, and that idea of, I love that thought of like any accomplishment, whether it is an Olympic feat or it is a writing a book. I remember after publishing my book and kind of just feeling suspended and like, what do I, cause you work so hard and you push so long mm-hmm. and it's been book, 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 book. And interesting that you had coaches, which well-intending, I mean, yeah. I know that you don't have ill-intended, you know, they're all, you know, uh, participants and, um, cheerleaders of your success saying like, Hey, let's go on to the next thing. Let's move to the next success right away. And the thought that that might not be, it's probably not the right thing. Yeah. That's, it's so interesting that you went through that, what, nine years ago and hopefully things have shifted. It sounds like there's a new vocabulary there. Um, but did you have like friends or like, how did you manage it when there wasn't such a vocabulary for it? I, I guess I was ready to take it slow. Like I, yeah. you had like the instinct to do yeah. it. I, I think actually, honestly, you know, we talk about, we were sharing about mothers, but I had like the most amazing mother. Right. Mm, and so I awesome. kind of, but I kind of grew up knowing that I then wouldn't be the most amazing mother because that was already taken. Oh, and wow. so the pressure to be the most amazing mother was kind of like, I just didn't even approach it that way, I guess. So yeah, I yeah. remember kind of like accepting that I would not do it as well as she did. And so some of the like pressure was off and that was, so it wasn't like my pinnacle necessarily, I suppose. I don't remember struggling in the way that many people did. And I think that's probably why I didn't expect excellence out of myself. I just, you know, I was just, you were like, 
you were like, you like were like benefit by sandbagging. Do you know exactly. what I mean? Like, and yes. I don't mean that in like a, no. in a bad way, but you were like, no, it's just, I'm not gonna. And in some ways it just relieved you of that, of the pressure that might have like been your own undoing had it been the opposite or something, you know? Absolutely. And I do feel that we do put that pressure on, especially as achievers and, you know, that pressure is always there. We don't necessarily need any additional outside source to, to apply it. Um, but, but the point it. here is, well, and the point here is that like, it's random and lucky that you ended up like thriving in that scenario. And then I ended up okay. And I think the point here is that it would be nice if you could have relied on something a little bit more, not random or not like yeah. lucky you kind of had this response to your own upbringing yeah. um you know because because not everybody's so lucky and they're you know so that's where a shift to to have like a more stable foundation for understanding the moment after success yes right like if we could have a better like platform to land on after we jump off our big dream dream mountains or whatever yes. you want to call yeah, it when we get to the moon right yeah. um that would be great because this the, stuff happens to people whether they achieve the dream and it's successful or not right yeah there's the fear of well you know I think about every artist who had an amazing first album and what do they call it isn't it like the sophomore album and and there are a lot of like artists who go through trauma like what if it's not as good as the first one you know like oh, what yeah. if I same thing I guess right? so what are you so what are you doing now um to now you know having been through what you went through um you know I'm sure determined to to do it better this time around now knowing what you know whether it is with the book yeah. Bravey or whether it is with your next athletic goal or whatever goals, like what, what are, what are the things you're putting into place? Yeah. So it's a great question. And basically it, I, I feel that I have a toolkit now to catch myself during the early stages of like what I can only call, I think it's like adrenal fatigue is the way I think depression starts. I think where our nervous system is overloaded. I think that's where it starts. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just better able to identify the red flags before they're red. Like when mm. it's just like a yellow light. And for yeah. me, that means if I have like a night where I'm staying up all night thinking about something, it means like something is not harmonious in my life. And I need mm -hmm. to like pause and ask like, why was I up all night? What, what would help me sleep at night? So I think the first thing is we don't, we don't sleep when there's disharmony. And so trying to like, uh, arrange, you know, a t approach whatever is not harmonious right away and not mm -hmm. pushing through it or assuming it's going to go away without being addressed. Then on a really, really practical note, I've learned from actually one of my physios that our body has, has, this mechanism to tell us when our nervous system is overloaded and it will tell us, and this is how it tells us. Um, so we have the most nerves in our face, hands, and stomach. And that's why like when you're nervous, you feel it in your stomach yeah. or, you know, whatever. Your so hands get sweaty or whatever. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. So I remember in my, in, in an injury that I had a while back, 
my physio was like, Hey, did you have any, um, like thing change on your face in the last week or two? And I remembered that I did, I had like a strange kind of discoloration under my eye. It was like a red splotch looked like a little sunburn. And he told me that our faces can show us when we're starting to be overloaded and it's unique to each person. Meaning for me, if I get a pimple, like I have this, I have blessed Greek skin and I don't get a lot of pimples, (laughs) but when I do, it means that something was like off and I need to pause. And for someone else, it might be a canker sore. It might be something else on their face. And it's so strange to think about like paying attention to a pimple But for me, like I pay attention to those signs because that's just the really, really early stage. That's before your body is going to get injured or you're you're going to stop losing sleep. You might have like just a little sign. And so however subtle, I think our bodies are rooting for us and trying to get us to catch ourselves before we fall. Well, think about and think about all the effort we put into high covering up our facial blemishes, like pimple creams and, and cover up. And You're like, like, actually, I'm just not going to go to work today because this pimple means I need a day off. Okay. <laughs> like, like that could literally be what it is. Like it could just be like, Hey, hold on. I got to pause. Like my, but we do, we try to, I mean, it is like a metaphor. We try to cover it up and just keep going and pretend yeah. it isn't there, but maybe that's the opposite. Actually, I went through like just like a stressful period, the like a week ago, just there was a lot going on. Yeah. And I now that I think about it, yeah, like my whole side of my and I don't usually break out. That is crazy. And it could be for somebody else, yeah. It could be something different. It could be an eye twitch or it could yeah. be just like a little it's just and I think it's just getting to know your own face and noticing when something's different for you. And you know, What is cool about it is that as high achievers, people chasing success, we always want something objective to blame if we're going to slow down. And it's sometimes not enough to say like, I feel overwhelmed, but to have something to point to is helpful. And, you know, it could be a person being like, look, you seem a little off, but it could also be like the the pimple on your face. (laughs) I think if anything though, 2020 has taught me like that it is okay to slow down sometimes. Like I've started to embrace the slowdown a little bit. Like, eh, what do we, like our kids were, well, our kids were at school. Like we got sent home in March, right? The kids get sent home in March and we're learning at home and they were realizing that it was just traumatic for everybody. Uh, And so like three weeks in, they gave us wellness Wednesdays, which just basically meant, I say us because it was the parents that were then teaching him at home and wellness Wednesday was there wasn't going to be any new assignments. You just had to catch up on the old assignments. And I was like, this is amazing. Like I, can we just keep wellness Wednesday? Why not? Like, can we just have wellness Wednesday all, you know, for the next decade? I could, I think we could all use it, you know? I love that. Yeah. So maybe there are these, you know, maybe it, it takes us successful. People are also very stubborn. So maybe Mm -hmm. we're so stubborn that we're like, what are we going to get out of this challenge? Whether it's like, it is a depression or it's, it's this time we're in right now where we're like, we're going to be winners eventually. Yeah. Yeah. And so maybe like what you're saying is what would be cool is if we kept 
this wellness Wednesday and we won because the after back to normal, hopefully eventually of school, you know, routine might include this, this new discovery, you know, break. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you, Alexei, because you, you mentioned it and I read about it in the book and there was this beautiful passage. It was on page 61 it said, even though my mother's experiences are forever closed to me, the whole rest of the world is wide open. And you talk yeah. a lot in there about the power of mentors, but not only, which I thought was really interesting, not only the mentors that you knew and like the obvious mentors, so like coach, but like mentors who you knew from a distance. So can you share yeah. any of the like stories of what mentors have meant in your life? Yeah. Well, I love that we're on a podcast talking about it because so much of it comes from these satellite mentors where, okay, if I like where, when I'm training, for example, I've lived in these small mountain towns for years at a time, and I don't have direct access to being around all the mentors that I might like, you know, it's a small town. And so what I found was that while it is wonderful and great to be in person with the people you admire as much as you can, you can also pretend that you're in, you're with them by way of uh, podcasts, audiobooks, watching YouTube interviews, and using your imagination. And so what I found is that when I listen to these um, satellite mentors and just pretend like they're talking directly to me, it felt just as powerful as if I was in the room with them. It felt different, but it felt powerful. And I think we should never outgrow wanting mentors. And I think the way that we can chase it and seek it out, if we're not able to be in a room with the people we want to meet in real life is to just pretend that we are in the room with them and to fill ourselves with all of the company that we can. Um, Because if you know, people already, they say, you know, you're the product of the people you spend the most time with. So spend time with people you want to spend time with by choice. And I think podcasts and audiobooks and interviews and movies are excellent resources. Well, this, like, I think about people reading Bravey and like, and like, what a beautiful, it's such a well-written book, by the way, like the stories in there, like what a, what a talent you have for bringing it all to life. Um, so I see you definitely as being one of those people or everyone who hears this and buys the book. Can you tell us who do you, who was like one of your earliest mentors that you remember? Well, I, like many young girls in the nineties looked up to Mia Hamm and imitated her by wearing sweatbands and And I think that's where I learned that imitation is a really powerful tool and we can just take things that people say or wear and just make them our own instantly and they make us feel more capable. But in real life, um, you know, I think, I think it was like my, it was honestly like my friends' moms and my babysitter. Like it was the people who let me peer into their world without watching me watch them. That meant the most. Because um, when you're young, like when you're growing up, you don't want someone to catch you looking up to them 
you don't want someone to catch you spying on them. You just want them to let you look at them without them looking at you looking at them. And I think those were the people that meant the most to me because there were some people who pointed out, you know, how much I must need a mom or need this thing to be filled for me. And that felt too forced on me. And I think for kids, for teenagers, probably for anyone, we can't force it on people. It has to be given in like a generous way. Um, And so I found that those women in particular who opened the door and let me walk through on my own uh, and were the, the most generous and the most effective in helping me. I loved the story that you wrote in there about getting picked up. Was it from camp by your new au pair? Yeah. And you were watching Petra. all the girls. Yeah. Tell the, just cause it was just such a yes. beautiful. So Petra was my, one of my au pairs. We had these babysitters for like a year at a time and they could not stay a day longer because there were rules with their visas. And mm. Petra was this giant, wonderful woman from the Czech Republic. And we were coming home from camp where our whole class had camped for a week and everybody got off the bus and ran and hugged their moms. And I ran and I hugged Petra who I'd never met before, but she was now my new au pair. And I was, you know, I'd seen a picture of her, but, and I just hugged her like I, like I might, if she was a mom. And I think there, those moments are like, you know, in retrospect, you're like, that's so that's really <laughs> sad. Um, but it was a nice, it was nice that she let me hug her like that. And what was hard about those au pairs was that they were like going to go away forever in a year. Yeah. That was really hard to like every year, the woman that was spending time in your house and kind of mentoring you just disappears. And I think it hardened me in a way to expect that I needed to be able to stand on my own two feet and makes me hold on to people in a weird way because you're aware that they could disappear. Um, Really nice to have them around, but also really tough to say goodbye every single year. Yeah. Because you know that that's where, I mean, we all know that we have to, we'll be saying goodbye to each other at some point, but to know that that's happening exactly one year away is, yeah, that's, that's a lot. And I would, so I know that you knew, um, that you had, you were like different, right. Growing up, um, just because of the circumstance, like, is there anything, anything that you would say to that? Anyone who's listening and thinking that, you know, their circumstance, you know, regardless of, of what that was, is maybe something that's holding them back from success. Their different, their difference is what is keeping them from something. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think I can relate to as like someone who's an Olympian, who's chasing the Hollywood dream, you know, it's unusual Mm. for someone to be uh, an athlete and an actress or, or an, or an an actress who's running in the Olympics, you know, like, likewise, Mm -hmm. it's just, I think I had a period of time where I tried to compartmentalize, compartmentalize those identities. And, and it was important for me, to me, that those careers stand on their own and I'd be a great runner despite, or like without any of the creative accolades and vice versa. But what I've found is that it's always the best to be the fullest manifestation of yourself. Like it's never going to 
um, there's always going to be something that keeps you up at night. If you're not, if you're not, you know, having integrity with what you feel is your truest self. Um, and the world is a lot, you know, the world is available and there for you more than, than we think. And I think we can approach the world from a place, a scarcity mindset where we're like, I didn't have this mom and now I'm not going to have the next thing and things are going to get taken from me. And I think that was a choice that I made from a very young age to say, okay, I didn't get this thing, but I get to have everything else. And I think whatever it is that, that the listeners might feel that they are, are missing or don't have just, you know, trying to see the world as an abundant place, uh, all the same is so helpful and the world will kind of give, give to you in a, in a different way. If you see it as a place of giving, um, and also, you know, people feed off your energy. So like if we walk into the room feeling like we're not deserving, then people might see you that way. Yeah. So that's just like a practical note of like how to how to enter the scenarios in a way that you hope that you'll end up rather than where you feel that you're at right now. I just you just that right there. You just like ooze in in everything from uh, like like in the way that you write the cover of your book, even the way that you're sharing right now, there's just this like quiet strength that I know is also not quiet um, uh, that I can just see like everyone would respond. It's just a beautiful thing. Now I do have one last question. Your, the dedication to your book, it says, dad, I think we did it. What does that mean? I was like, oh my gosh, I love them. But what was that? Well, (laughs) you know, the book, Bravey is really like partially a love letter, I think, to my dad because he did Mm -hmm. a lot to carry that, that, you know, responsibility. And I think the way I grew up was really a little unconventional at times, but, but effective. And, and I, and I am where I am because of it. And I think that I think we did it is just, I think both of us have had this feeling of like, are we going to be okay? You know, like, am I going to, like, I always had the fear that I would end up, you know, like my mom and pushing against that. And, and I danced that edge, you know, and I think he always had the self-consciousness of like how to raise these two kids on his own. Um, And I think we did it just means that I, I really think that that I will be okay and that I have the tools and that he did a good enough job that he helped me get those tools. And, um, I just, I feel equipped to, to be in the world now. And that's why I feel that the book is the end of the beginning of my life. Mm -hmm. I just feel ready to be in my life now. And it took, it took a long time to grow up, but I think I'm grown up now. (laughs) Well, and so, so generous, uh, everything that you shared in there, the lessons, the, the humor, the sincerity, the struggle, I mean, it is what a gift to the rest of us to be able to, you know, (laughs) grow up, but with being able to like have you as a guide on, on how to do that. So we can avoid some of the other pitfalls. Um, one last question, Alexi, where can we find you? Where, where, when yeah. do you want more? Because they will, where do they go? So I have an Instagram that is just my name, Alexi Pappas, A-L-E-X-I-P-A-P-P-A-S. <laughs> and then the book, um, the book is, you know, being it's everywhere it's with random house and there's 
a website, which is just randomhousebooks.com forward slash campaign forward slash bravey, which is B-R-A-V-E-Y. Well, thank you so much thank for you. taking the time to be here with us today. We loved hearing your story. I'm so grateful. Thank you for taking the time to read and share with your success community. I hope everybody has like, you know, their, ver- their, their manifestation of their success. And I'm grateful that you took the time. We'll see you soon. If you enjoyed this conversation, look up an inch or down an inch and check out all of our previous discussions. You can find those at iTunes, Spotify, Overcast, Stitcher, or wherever finer podcasts are sold. And of course, check out the latest issue of Success Magazine by heading over to success.com slash subscribe and get more inspiring stories like this delivered right to your front door. Be sure to give us a review on Apple iTunes and you can find me at kindrahall.com or on Instagram at kindrahall. That is Kindra with an I. I can't wait to hear the stories you'll tell. Until next time. Until next time.